and welcome to Addicted to Murder. This is Courtney, licensed professional counselor with over a decade of experience. And this is Trisha, and I was herkle-durkling it before you came over, Courtney. That sounds fun. Um, It's a 200-year-old Scottish term meaning to lounge in bed long after it's time to get up. Oh, that does sound fun. Um, I was doing it because I was telling you I had anxiety and I just couldn't get myself to come out of bed, uh. but... Uh, I guess I wasn't lounging then. I was laying. Stressing? Yeah, whatever. Thank you, Kelsey, for that word, BT dubs. I wish I could have done that, but my dog woke up at 6 a.m., so I woke up at 6 a.m. My dog is so good at sleeping in until I get up, and then he's very quiet, and it goes potty, and he comes in, and then he pleasantly has his breakfast and then goes back to bed and... But then again, he's 11, and Rika's much younger. Yeah, she is three. Yeah. Mulder and there were squirrels was... outside that she needed to bark at, so. Yes. Mulder's probably not, was not like that. My cousin called a squirrel the other day a timber tiger, I think is what she called it. I was That's like, interesting. I'd never heard that before. She's like, there's a timber tiger out there. I was like, what the hell is a timber tiger? I feel like that would be more of like a chipmunk, because they have the stripes. Because corals don't have stripes. Yeah, I don't know. I hmm. never heard the term, period. Yeah, so neither. I was like, okay, cool beans. Two new words for you. Right. Um, but yeah, welcome to Addicted to Murder. And we took a week off. That's what we want to do anymore. Well, we have a lot going on. And yeah. it was a holiday. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I've been... <clears throat> my first semester is sort of coming to a close, so I've got a bunch of stuff that's like kind of due tests and and stuff, so I'm a little stressed out about it. Um, but you're on a different schedule, so you're probably not at the end of a term or well, whatever. Well, I kind of am, but my terms are eight weeks long, so I'm at like week six of eight. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I still have a couple weeks left, but they're putting all of the end of the year or term stuff in there. Um but yeah, I'll ask you a question really quick, okay. and then we'll get started. So, Courtney, would you rather spend the day wearing wet socks or with the popcorn kernel stuck in your teeth? Ooh. Mm. They both sound unpleasant. They do both sound unpleasant. And annoying. I think popcorn kernel. Yeah. Because I don't really like socks anyway Mm. so like wet socks are just like the worst I think I'd do wet socks Hmm. yeah interesting um I I I hate having shit in my teeth I mean who likes it but Mm -hmm. my teeth are so close together because I have my wisdom teeth that whenever I get anything in there it's like all I can focus on Uh, wet socks I've I've had them before we live in Oregon well that's true so maybe because like I had braces and stuff when I was younger having weird textures in my mm, mouth you're like, like I don't it. like it but like they don't right. drive me nuts as much yeah that could be mm-hmm. that could be well um do you want to talk a little bit about the new case we're starting sure so we do have a new case today and way back like probably a year ago um I was just like searching for like lists of serial killers and I wrote down like a list in my phone of like ones that sounded interesting and then I promptly forgot that I had done that and so I recently rediscovered that list and today's killer was on it so I decided to 
choose him. So that killer is Donald Henry Gaskins. And the book we're using is like a, we think it's a self-published book by Roger Harrington, The True Story of the Meanest Man in America. So um, with that, I guess we'll get started. I had never heard of this dude. You hadn't heard of this dude. No, but I'm surprised that no one has heard of this dude. Right. And he looks so unassuming, like the picture of him. Mm -hmm. Not that they, you can tell, but some of them just look meaner than others, like Harvey Carrington looks mean. Right. Yeah. But he looks just like a... He's got a little bit of like a Ted Bundy face going on, but like not as attractive. Right. Yeah. I can see that. The dark features. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Well, so Donald Henry Gaskins was born on March 13th, 1933 to a teenage mother named Eula, uh, but she went by Molly Parrott. In Fanning, South Carolina. So allegedly Donald's father uh, was named Henry Gaskins, paid Molly a dollar for sex. Like that was just their arrangement. And that's why at age 14 she became pregnant with Donald. And they had an arrangement where Henry, the the dad, would pay $10 a month and let her live in a shack on his land with their kid, but also, you know, be able to have sex with her. Right. Uh, So Donald was a small child, and he would pretty quickly earn the nickname of Pee-wee because of this. And his mother was a very neglectful mom. So in fact, Donald didn't even know what his real name was until his first court appearance much later in life. He thought his name was Pee-wee. No one told him any different. Mm -hmm. So Molly was a big drinker, and she would teach Donald how to make her drinks and have him be like her bartender. And he claims that his mom would also have sex in front of him. This would bother him to the point that he would try to pull, you know, his mom and his uh, Henry apart or whoever else she was having sex with because they were having sex in front of him. He tried to pull them apart and they would just laugh at him. And also at age one, Donald drank a bottle of kerosene, which caused him to have convulsions until age three. So, Courtney, when I read that, I was skeptical. A child drinking a whole bottle of kerosene, my first thought was that it was forced on him because, you know, it doesn't taste good. What are your thoughts on that and everything else I just went over? So I'm a little bit less skeptical. Um, You know, very young children don't know the difference between liquids that are safe to drink and those that are not. Um, And he was also severely neglected and probably unsupervised much of the time. So, you know, if he was feeling thirsty or hungry and no one was around and he saw a bottle, um, maybe it reminded him of the one he would use to, like, drink milk out of, you know, who knows? Kids do stupid things. Um, But as for the circumstances that he was born into, I would say that he's just very unlucky. You know, he was born into poverty with a very young teenage mother who struggled with alcohol. And I also wonder if Molly was drinking heavily while she was pregnant with Donald. You know, some known impacts of fetal alcohol exposure include low birth weight, shorter than average height, and having a small head. I bet she did. Right. I mean, I doubt the alcoholism started afterwards. Right, yeah. And back in the 1930s, we just didn't know about fetal alcohol syndrome yet. So Molly and Donald would live in that shack for a long time. Molly would regularly have customers in and out of the home often. And per the book we're using, Molly would make Donald watch them have sex. 
Donald claims that one of these men, um, that, or that, sorry, that some of these men would physically and sexually abuse him. And it got to the point where it was normal for him. And he just didn't even know that he was being abused because it was so normalized. Courtney, can you talk to us a bit about how a child's brain is developing when all they know is this environment and th- therefore they don't even realize they're being abused? Growing up in this kind of environment would be probably very confusing for a child. You know, instinctually, we as humans have an adverse reaction to pain and discomfort, yet we are dependent on our parents to teach us about what behaviors are acceptable and not. So even though, you know, Donald was feeling pain from the abuse, he learned from his mother, because she allowed it to keep happening, that it's normal and it's okay for men to hurt him. Yeah. Well, when Donald started school, he was teased for his height and his nickname really stuck. So he would be Pee Wee for life. In fact, I'm going to start calling him that for the rest of the case. He did not get along well with others and he did not make many friends. His teachers would basically blame him for the trouble being caused and would beat him as a result. So basically he's being abused at home and then he's beaten, being beaten at school. And so this is all he knows is abuse everywhere he goes. Courtney? So I would guess that Donald had what we would call a disorganized attachment style. When children are learning how to relate to others during that time between birth and age three, um, how they are cared for by their primary caregivers significantly impacts how attachment develops. And those who experience intense abuse often develop disorganized or what it's also called fearful slash avoidant attachment styles. Um, And so this means that they feel an intense need for closeness with others, but also have severe difficulty opening up to others and feel like they don't deserve to be loved all at the same time. So if we take kind of these needs to be close, but then add in that Donald probably was never taught proper social and emotional skills by his mother because she was still a child herself when she had him. He was kind of set up to fail. Pee-wee quit school at age 11, following his mother's example, because she dropped out at age 12. He would hide in the forest and pretend to go to school, and I'm not sure how long it took before he got caught. But around this time, his mother got married to a field hand named Hinnant Hannah. He claims that this stepfather also abused him. Those two would have four children together. Pee-wee was apparently a pretty handy kid, and after he quit school, he started to work at an auto body shop at only age 12. He actually made some decent money for a kid that was so young, but his stepdad made him quit and help him out in the fields. He would do this during the day, but would sneak out at night to work on cars to make some extra cash. I have a feeling he was not allowed to keep the money he made in the fields. So Donald only stayed on um, the up and up until age 13 when he committed his first real crime. So by this time, he had a couple of friends named Danny and Henry, and they dubbed themselves the Treble Trio, which was an apt name for them. They had a clubhouse type of place out in the woods where they would hang out and plan their schemes. They started out shoplifting things like candy and cigarettes. Then they started looking in people's windows and spying on girls in the local church's bathroom. Danny's dad would aid them in breaking into homes and stealing items that they would later sell at yard sales. They did this enough that they were able to buy a car where they could drive to bigger towns and pay for sex with prostitutes. This satisfied the trio for a while until they decided they wanted to have sex with a virgin. And this led to the gang rape of Henry's sister, 13-year-old Julie. 
Courtney? We are seeing a classic example of how conduct disorder develops over time. You know, Donald was not getting his needs met at home, so he turned to stealing, choosing whatever friends would kind of allow him to be around them, and searching for intimacy in all the wrong ways. Early experimentation with sex and even reenactment of sexual trauma, such as like violence during sex, is common for survivors of sexual abuse. And so it's not surprising that Donald would display these behaviors. Well, Julie told her mom what had happened, and the boys were all beaten by their parents for what they did. It was too late, though, for Pee-wee. He now had a liking for violent sex with unwilling partners. The trio broke up soon after this as his friends' families moved them away. His crimes escalated when he was 16. He and a new friend that he made broke into a house with the same-aged female peer. She attacked Pee-wee with a hatchet but he got it from her and he hit her on the head with it, knocking her unconscious. His friend escaped the, ske- escaped the scene, but Pee-wee was busted. He was charged with assault with a deadly weapon and intent to kill. It was at this court appearance that he learned his real name. He was not Pee-wee, he was Donald. He was found guilty and sent to the South Carolina Industrial School for White Boys in Florence, South Carolina. Courtney, I'm assuming you're not surprised by this. You are correct. Attempting to sexually assault a girl his own age would be the natural progression of his criminal process. And of course, during this time, juvenile defendants were sent to reform school, which was anything but reformative. Well, Pee-wee was definitely a target in this institution. He was so small that he was immediately sought out by others for sexual abuse. Boss Poss was a leader and a bully at the school. He would force himself on Pee-wee every night. This reform school experience... Oh, my screen went back, so sorry. <laughs> this reform school experience taught Pee-wee about dominance and control. He would have definitely lacked these two things because of his stature, and apparently he also had a squeaky voice. After his first night at the school, Pee-wee alleges that he was gang-raped, gang-raped by 20 boys in his bunk as a punishment for refusing Poss's advances. Once Pee-wee was under Poss's control, he was also sold to other inmates for cigarettes. Courtney, what's further happening to this kid? So, you know, Donald started off being disadvantaged. He was physically small, so there was no way he could overpower his attackers. He had also experienced sexual abuse before, and as I mentioned, at least, you know, part of him believed he deserved it and that it was normal. As a result, he may have just kind of resigned himself that this was part of his life now, rather than continuing to fight back as others might have. But I can definitely imagine how much anger and rage was building up inside of Donald as he continued to be traumatized over and over. You know, a big part of my anxiety, and and maybe this is a part of a lot of people's anxiety, is not feeling like you're in control of a situation. So then you spiral thinking about things because you're trying to somehow have some sort of control by thinking of every worst case scenario and blah, 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 Mm -hmm. blah, to like get a grasp of the situation. So with Pee Wee being so small and this happening, like he really had no control. He had no control over his life at all. He was completely like a pawn and I could just see myself personally go crazy. Sure. And he sort of went the opposite way of that, like overanalyzing and overthinking, which is, you know, what we would call learned helplessness. Mm -hmm. 
Um, well, so after a year of this torment, Pee Wee and a few other boys who were also victims of rape made their escape from the reform school. Unfortunately, they were caught the, po- the following day. Pee Wee was able to escape again and went to his old hideout in the woods where the trio used to meet up. But he was caught two days later and sent back to the reform school. His punishment was 30 days worth of beatings and three months of hard labor, labor as well as three months in solitary confinement. He hated solitary because he was alone, and I guess he was kind of a social person, but he was also not being raped during this time. He went back to general population after three months in solitary and was again raped by Poss and his gang. Pee-wee escaped again, and he made it to his maternal aunt's house this time. She agreed not to turn him in, but she did talk him into finishing his sentence three months later, and he turned himself back in. He was put into solitary again and had to do hard labor. He was a wheat beaten by the guards often and one day he hit a guard in the face and groin in retaliation now this attack got him transferred to a mental hospital for evaluation and there um, coincidentally his appendix exploded and emergency surgery can't talk all of a sudden an emergency surgery was performed after all of this he was sent back to the reform school but he was now doing light duty probably because of the appendix i'm assuming he was still raped and beaten by the guards continually Pee-wee ran away a third time and found work at a carnival where he married a 13-year-old. So he was almost 18 or right at 18 at this time. He decided he didn't want to be on the run with a new wife, so he again turned himself in. And in 1951, he finally finished his sentence, and he was free to be with his new bride, Mary. Courtney Pee-wee is now about 18 years old. His whole life, he has only known sexual and physical abuse. He has always been small and therefore an easy target. What diagnosis are you thinking? And is there any way in hell he can have a normal marriage? With the amount of trauma that Donald experienced prior to age 18, I think it must be acknowledged as a driving force in all of his future actions. But it's not an excuse. Um, If I were to evaluate him probably at this age, I would probably give a diagnosis of complex post-traumatic stress disorder and antisocial personality disorder. Even just at 18, he has a significant history of criminal behavior, poor empathy, impulsivity, and that includes violence. As for his marriage to Mary, there was no way this could have been normal or healthy. You know, having a disorganized attachment style, as I mentioned earlier, would prevent Donald from being able to fully trust and engage with Mary. Also, I think it is important to note that he, at 18, chose to marry a girl who was only 13 years old. He was older, more experienced, and would finally be able to be the one with power and dominance in a relationship. I'm just having a flash of the girl that they gang-raped was 13. Yes. I think we'll see a pattern of him preferring very young girls. Mm Mm-hmm. Pee-wee and his new bride got pregnant soon after he was released. They moved to Georgetown, South Carolina. He got a government job there logging cypress trees in a swamp, and he stayed there until a friend from reform school offered him a job on a tobacco farm. The job was more money than he was making, so he and Mary moved to Johnstonville, South Carolina. Pee-wee's daughter was born April 17, 1952. True to form, Pee-wee couldn't stay on the straight and narrow, so he and his friend started to scheme, and they got involved in an insurance fraud. They would burn down barns to collect insurance money. His friend would be arrested for arson, but he didn't turn Pee-wee in. A new manager of the farm was brought in, and that manager's daughter caught on to what Pee-wee was doing. 
She threatened to turn him in, so he hit her on the head with a hammer. He didn't kill her, but he did get arrested again, and he got convicted. And he was sentenced to big boy prison for five years at the South Carolina State Penitentiary. When he was sentenced, he called the judge a son of a bitch, and for that, another year was added to his sentence. Just don't piss off the judge, right, Courtney? I mean, he just couldn't help himself. Yep. So, history seems to repeat itself in Pee-wee's life. He again was targeted and again was made a prison sweetheart to someone who had more power than he did. Pee-wee decided he needed to do something to show that he was not to be messed with. His plan was to kill the biggest bully in prison, the most powerful inmate. This man's name was Hazel Brazel. He slashed his throat while he was on the toilet, but somehow made it look like self-defense, or at least that's what he claimed. It resulted in three more years added to his sentence. It worked, however, in keeping others away from him. After he was released from solitary for the crime, he was treated with respect. He was no longer a sweetheart. In fact, others in the prison brought him sweethearts for him to use as he pleased. Pee-wee claims that any sweethearts he used, he did not abuse them the way that he had been abused. Courtney, so he's killed the first person that we know of. What are your thoughts? As we will see, uh, this was a big turning point for Donald in a lot of ways. Yes, it's his first murder, which is a new threshold of violence for him. It is also when he decided that he would no longer accept being a victim and did something to take his power back. Power, control, and dominance are so often the main drivers of serial rapists and murderers. And now that he had crossed that line and felt like felt what it was like to have power, he was never going to be able to go back. Pee-wee escaped prison in a garbage barrel when he learned that Mary was going to divorce him, and he made his way to Florida in a car he stole from a cousin. Ironically, he went to Florida to meet Poss, the boy who had raped him all those years in reform school. Poss got him a job at the carnival that he worked at. He was on the lam and traveling around with the carnival when he met 19-year-old Junie, and they soon got married. Technically, he was still married to Mary at this time, so that marriage wasn't legal. He continued to travel with the carnival, and after departing from his wife in Florida and arriving in Georgia, that marriage too was over. He never heard from Junie again. That didn't deter him from marriage, though, as he married a third time to a carnival worker named Betty Jean. Courtney, the girls seem to like him. What are your thoughts? I think Donald intentionally chooses girls that are younger than him, who he thinks he can manipulate and dominate. I also imagine that because he does seem to crave love and closeness with others, he probably could be very devoted, romantic, and caring at the beginning of a relationship. But then when they got too close, that fear of vulnerability kicks in and he bails. And maybe there's a little bit of, you know, the bad boy thing. Well, yeah, and one thing that makes like a successful sociopath or, Mm -hmm. sorry, antisocial type is, you know manipulation and having that superficial charm and all that good stuff so right through all his years of trying to get his needs met as best he can with all the abuse he suffered he probably did learn how to sweet talk and you know love bomb and all that stuff probably betty jean and peewee went to see her brother in tennessee turns out her brother was on the run and wanted in five states he was arrested while they were there The pair smuggled in a razor blade inside of a carton of cigarettes to him, and he was able to escape prison. Pee-wee was um, meshed in a family that was just as felonious as his own, and it's kind of funny that Betty Jean stole the car that Pee-wee had stolen from his cousin and left him stranded. 
So the police came looking for, um, you know, the brother the next day and uh, questioned Pee-wee to find out, you know, what he knew. And it was during this meeting with the police that Pee-wee learned that he was not actually Betty Jean's brother, but her husband. So he'd been conned. And he was also arrested at this time on outstanding warrants from his escape and held in a local jail awaiting extradition. While in jail and needing to assert his dominance, he stole a knife out of the kitchen and cut off the ear of another inmate. Once he was extradited back to South Carolina, he was placed in maximum security. And he was also charged by the FBI for auto theft and crossing state lines. So once that occurred, he was transferred to Richland Richland County Jail in Columbia, South Carolina where he was sentenced to three years for the federal crimes he committed and again transferred to a federal prison in Atlanta, Georgia. While he was in this prison, he befriended Frank Costello, someone who he uh, who was affiliated high up with the Genovese crime family, and he gave him a new nickname, Little Hatchet Man. Cordy? You know, if Donald didn't have feelings of hatred towards women before, although I imagine he probably did, He certainly did after being conned by Betty Jean. And, you know, one thing I can say about Donald, though, is that he is very adaptable. He finds a way to survive every situation he finds himself in, even if that means partnering with his rapist, killing a man for clout, or becoming friends with the mob. He's like a cockroach. Yes. Pee-wee would finish out his sentence there in 1961, and he was released into society at age 28. At this time, he moved back home, back home with his mother and stepdad, but moved out with a cousin soon after. Of course, with a rap sheet like Pee-wee's, he struggled to find a job. He did work on automobiles and he painted cars. He then got a job as a driver for a traveling ministry. Throughout this time, he was still burglarizing houses and selling what he stole. He also found time to marry yet again, an 18-year-old named Jerry. At this point, he quit his legit driving job and stole and resold items full-time. And the next crime that he would commit would be his first violent sexual crime as an adult. We'll get into that next week. Courtney? You know, some people really can't accomplish a whole life of crime before they're even 30. You know, at 28, Donald has spent more years actively involved in criminal behavior than he did without since he started basically when he was 11 or 12. And, you know, this is still just the beginning of his story as well. Right. I mean, he hasn't earned the title of meanest man in America yet. Not yet. But yeah, he's, you know, they, most of the serial killers we've covered, and I mean, this is just, it makes sense because most of them are antisocial personality disorder types, have had a lot of prison time before they started killing. Can you think of one off the top of your head where it was like they led a, I mean... I guess Ted Bundy didn't really get caught for a whole while. I'm just trying to think of some that like all of a sudden it was like out of the blue. BTK? Yeah, BTK would be one. Yeah. Where like there just wasn't much of a criminal rap sheet Mm -hmm. or even like a real history of criminal behavior. Right. But it's tough. It's tough to find some. Most of them have been in and out of institutions of some kind. Right, right. I'm thinking also um, John Wayne Gacy didn't have like that big criminal past as a kid. Not as a kid, but before he was a serial killer, he did have That's that true. sodomy. That's true. Charge mm-hmm. um, conviction or whatever he mm-hmm. ended up getting because they lowered it. Right, but he didn't have that like 
yeah, like, theft like, and assault right. and yeah. all those other things. I don't know. Just mm. something I, you know, when it when I see it, I'm like, God, how do they keep letting these people out? But also, uh, I'm learning more in school and at my job that there's just there's just not a way to hold all these people, and there's not a way to get them um, psychiatric evaluations and stuff like that to right. try to get them into a program that doesn't exist exactly. for mental health mm-hmm. stuff. Did you see the post on my Instagram story about the amount of serial killers in America? It was an Instagram. Mm-hmm. I mean, I shared it, so I didn't fact check it, mm-hmm. but it didn't surprise me if, if it was true. But it said mm-hmm. something like, it, it said like the three highest countries with serial killers, right? And the third, I think, was South Africa with like 140 altogether. Mm-hmm. And then number two was England with 160 altogether. Like we're talking throughout history. Uh-huh. And number one, of course, was the United States with like 3,000 something. Yeah. <laughs> so like what is, what is happening here that is, I mean, I know we're big. But we don't, part of that is population. But, but we don't have that big of a population. Mm-hmm. I mean, compared to our landmass size, we have a huge landmass size. Sure. But sure. like even if you were to break it down into percentages – Mm-hmm. It was like they did that. They said like America has four percent of the population and sixty percent of the serial killers or something. What is it? Why? Why are we so serial killy here? What are your thoughts? I mean, that's a really good question. You know, I think from just kind of more strictly of like a, a humanistic way, people people turn to crime because of things like poverty and mental illness and you know not having their needs met right and we are as a country honestly we're not very good to each other mm-hmm. you know we don't have universal health care we don't have um you know education <laughs> is struggling we don't take care of our unhoused and low-income people very well well, and you have to get to a certain point to be so low in poverty to get any of that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. You have to be below the poverty line, like kind of far below the poverty line to get health care for free, mm-hmm. um, to qualify for Pell Grants for school. Um, to qualify for welfare or TANF yep. or any of those programs. And like I have a friend who, I mean, this is a little different, but her mom needed memory care facility. And, you know, that's like seven, $8,000 a month mm-hmm. um, or Medicaid will pay for it. The, you know, the, the welfare type insurance mm-hmm. for those who aren't from America that are listening. Um, however, for you to qualify for Medicaid for memory care, she had to get rid of everything but like $50 in her bank account. And she couldn't have like, she wasn't married, so she couldn't have like any property or anything in her name mm-hmm. so that she could actually afford by getting into such a low poverty state that mm-hmm. she would have the memory care paid for. Right. So it's just, I don't know. It's all, it's all messed up. It is all messed <laughs> up. I don't know how to fix it mm-hmm. because each state is different. They all have their own laws and their own culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and a lot of times states don't necessarily have to follow all the federal guidelines for everything and vice versa but anyhow i'm sorry that was just a big can of worms but it is interesting if that statistic Mm -hmm. is true how many 
severely violent serial offenders we have here compared mm-hmm. to other countries who also have poverty and who also have sure. mm-hmm. mental illness and abuse. Um, and but Yeah. And there's, you know, our incarceration system itself, right. I think, drives a lot of people who maybe wouldn't be in a life of crime to end up in one mm-hmm. um, for maybe like one thing that they did wrong or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, and also just sort of thinking about we, we do kind of have a culture of violence. We're founded on, you know, things like genociding Native peoples. Mm. And the second... Ab- just happened, so that... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was something that came up. Right. And, you know, Second Amendment stuff, whatever, wherever you stand on that. Mm-hmm. Like, other countries don't have that culture around things like guns that we have. Yeah. So many hot topics. We're not taking a stand on it on here. Just uh, explaining possible reasons why there's so much. Yes. How cultures can potentially breed or not breed. Yeah. Something here is breeding serial killers. Mm -hmm. So we will not run out of them to discuss. Unfortunately not. (laughs) Because they also sell a lot of books. They make TVs. Right. We're fascinated. Yeah. But that's not just us. No. That's just humanity in general are fascinated. Yeah. All right. Well, that tangent was fun. Um, Anyways, we will pick up with, I don't know if this will be two or three, two or three parts. I haven't finished writing it. We'll see. Yes. So we will see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye. Did you stop? Where's my mouse?